We begin, Dave, with the most Carl Drogo line in the entire book. When he had taken his pleasure, Carl Drogo rose from their sleeping mats to tower above her. I hold here in my hand this sword, and I'll fight any of you, so make a cue. So all you got to do is chop his fingers off, no problem. Dreadfall, where the Boltons hang the skins of their enemies. Fucking hell! Welcome to episode 8 of Shark Liver Oil's coverage of A Game of Thrones by George R.R. R. Martin. This one's called The Pointy End. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. Hello. And, okay, so, we're going to dive straight into uh, our next part of the book. And uh, we go into a, a chapter... About Arya. So when we last left George R. R. Martin's Game of Thrones, it had all gone wrong. Ned had just been captured in the throne room and his guards had been slaughtered. And now we switch to Arya. So immediately we're thinking, to be honest, this is this is the, the author um, sort of getting a feel for what the reader will be thinking now and actually doing a bit of service. Because first thing you think... After the sh- after the shock sunk in in the throne room, think, God, what's going to happen to his kids? And immediately, George R. R. Martin says, "Well, I'm going to tell you. Let's talk about Arya." It's a rare example, isn't it, of compassion on George R. R. Martin's part, where he usually seems to delight <laughs> in being like, "What happened next? You'll know in about six chapters' time." <laughs> yeah, it's as if it's he, a good point. As if he has like a fairly finely tuned sense of when people will just throw the book across the room. <laughs> you know, if he yeah. if he cut to a Daenerys chapter now, it would be, "Oh, come on, yeah, George, <laughs> do me a favour." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'd be like if you've listened to our Night Circus uh, podcast, it'd be the equivalent of cutting to you know what I'm going to say. I can't remember his name. What was the guy? The Bailey. little kid in the tree. Bailey. Yeah, Bailey. Flipping Bailey. Uh, anyway, I digress. That's that's for another time. Download the Night Circus if you want to. Um, if you want to hear more about Bailey, goodness knows what you um, So so yeah, we we, we zoom in. I is having a a lesson with her dancing master, or or the the guy who's teaching her to to fight with her sword, and he's called Sirio. We've not really spoken about Sirio before, and he's he's a really great sort of minor character, isn't he? Mm. Um, Is this? I mean, he's different from the books because I mean, is this guy who's come over from abroad and he's got a different way of fighting? He's got more sort of a, 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 I suppose, like a a light-footed style rather than the sort of. The, the hulking, hacking style of, of the Western knights. Mm. He's a, a little bit more finessed. Um, in the film, in the uh, series, he's got this massive, like, funky afro. Or he's got sort of large, <laughs> curly hair. Uh, in the That's book, he's actually, he's, he's actually bald. He's, he, he, he made me think of sort of a, a monk, you know, like a, uh, an Eastern monk. Yeah, 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 like a, like a Shaolin kind of warrior monk thing. Yeah, I mean, the fact he fights with a wooden staff at one point as well, yeah. um, I think, increases that. But um, they're, they're having a, another practice and they're talking about heading up to Winterfell because he's going to um, go with, with uh, Arya up to Winterfell now. Mm. And immediately we're thinking, oh, I'm not sure that's going to happen anymore, not unless he can cut the way out. Yeah. And um, the these one of the Kingsguard um, arrives with a couple of Lannister guardsmen and says to Arya that they're going to take her to her father. 
And Sirio immediately, I mean, this is an, almost another lesson for Aya because immediately he stops her and says, you know, actually look at what, you know, don't just look, look a bit more closely what's what's happening here. And she realises that, you know, if her dad did want her to to come to him, he'd send his own men, he not He wouldn't send Lannisters. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, it, it descends into a fight, this, where Sirio effectively um, holds off the various guards while Arya escapes and I mean we've not really seen Sirio seriously fighting before and it's obvious that he knows what he's doing because he's only got a wooden sword <laughs> and he's absolutely caning these uh, these oh, fully armed oh, knights very nicely put Matt I enjoy that a lot well done <laughs> <laughs> but he is he's excellent And um, but the, the problem is um, when he finally goes up against the uh, when he finally goes up against the man with the Kingsguard, who's in full steel, um, he doesn't really stand much of a chance. And as Aya runs away, um, his sort of his wooden sword breaks in two, and, and we're left to assume that he's killed here. Yeah. And I mean, there there are there are some people who uh, I think he's one. He's, he's only a minor character serial, but he's so popular that some people still maintain that he is uh, he's escaped. And um, oh. and there's, there are a few wild theories around really? around this character, but I mean, I took it here as he he was killed, and in in the series, there's a sort of this slash and a scream as I was running away, and it sounds like that's him. Mm. You know, I think it just probably speaks to just how much of a how much of a popular character he is. I'm interested in what these conspiracy theories are because I thought this was just a really nice, simply played, very kind of like you know, elegaic. Great, great character dies, noble death. I thought it was yeah. just that. I thought it was good enough as that. But um, you know, never underestimate the power of the fanboy. So Arya makes a break for it, and she is, she um, is trying to get out of the Red Keep. She escapes the room, and now she's got to escape the castle. And uh, on her way, um, she finds a load of um, her father's household who are dead or dying. Um, there's Holland, who's the uh, master of horse, who's uh, who's been killed. And uh, a guy called Desmond, if you remember, Desmond was the guy who escorted her away um, when uh, Yorin showed up. I think it was last, last week. And, um, and she was a bit gutted that um, he, he turned up to, to, get, to sort of take her away rather than Fat Tom because he, he, he had a bit more about him. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, and she asked him if she was being taken away. Are you going to look after my dad? Because she was worried about him after hearing this, this plot that was going on. And and he he assured her, you know, um, one Winterfell guardsman is worth ten Lannisters. Mm. And um, she, re- when she sees that he's dead, she reacts sort of in this sort of childish fury and like kicks him, kicks his body, and she's like, "You lied!" Like thinking, you know, you lied. Yeah. yeah. And it's just it's really sad because it's a, it's just an example of a, I think a a bit of Aya's childhood kind of dies with her here because it's one of those clear examples of you can't just. Um, rely on people like that and you you do as a child don't you absolutely and and it's one of those discovering that the the fairy tales you were told aren't strictly true i mean you know sadly i think um you know it's like that when you realize that sometimes cheats do prosper you know sometimes life's a bitch and um and and particularly in a, in a culture like this which raises its kids to be so like to you know like this that whole bravado of like one Stark is worth ten Lannisters. Um, mm. Is really central to everybody following along. It's the it's, it's the propaganda of the age, 
and it doesn't mean anything. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you can't say you can't say our men are inherently better than yours unless they've got better equipment or better training. You know, <laughs> they're not good just yeah. because of where they've come from or who their boss is. Yeah, uh, and speak, speak of a bit bit of Aya's childhood dying as well. She then <clears throat> kills a, a stable boy who tries to stop her escaping. Um, he, when he attacks her, she, she's by this time she's, she's got she's got needle the uh, her, her small sword, mm. and um, when when he sort of accosts her, she kind of forgets all her training. It's one of those classic examples when you're in the actual situation, your training can sometimes go out the window. And it's really as she just remembers the first lesson she was taught by John, which is which was if you remember sticking with the pointy end, and that's what she does, um, and it works. Simple and classic, I suppose. Yeah, having done that, she makes her escape. Yeah, what, which is I, like for all that this is a fantasy setting, that was quite a shocking moment for me. Like when I, mm. I was just kind of reading it, and I realised, yeah, this is a nine-year-old killing someone. Yeah, yeah. like. That's one of the areas, one of the many areas in which the world of A Song of Ice and Fire is quite different from the world I find myself living in. Because, you know, I'm rooting for a nine-year-old to kill another child in this book. And that's not cool. And I think I would hope that if I came across that situation in real life, uh, I would um, feel otherwise. But maybe not. Maybe I'm just a monster. Well, I expect context, doesn't it? I suppose uh, yeah. and it's just the in the in the context of this this world and this this time, if you like. Yeah, they grow up fast, Dave. In this world, yes. well, <laughs> um, clearly. <laughs> uh, we move on to Sansa. So we've heard of what happened to Arya. Now, what happened to Sansa? Um, and she's sort of locked away in this room, seemingly for her own protection. Um, she sort of looks back on on the fight, um, and she it's another sort of awakening for her insofar as you know when battles happen they're not like the stories she's she can hear knights screaming and and weeping for mercy outside a room as the fighting continues yeah um and then she's locked in this room with her friend jean pool and on the third after three days of being stuck there she she's sort of brought down for interrogation by uh by the queen and and the rest of them and uh, just a quick note about Jean Poole. Mm. This is just this, like, she's obviously a close friend of Sansa. She's always been knocking around whenever we've had a Sansa chapter. Mm. And uh, she is a good example of just a character which isn't, so far as the sort of small council are concerned, someone who isn't particularly important and is, becomes just a bit of a problem because they don't want her around Sansa now. They want Sansa completely isolated. Yeah. So they tell Sansa, oh, um, the, uh, Lord Baelish will, will look after Jean and find somewhere for her. And <laughs> so, I mean, thinking of what kind of establishment I was going to say, we'll give him to the brothel keeper. <laughs> yeah, and he says, I'll find a place for her. And you oh, think this probably isn't going to end well. Your skin crawls, doesn't it? As it does always with Peter Baelish. Yeah. 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 So there's this discussion with Sansa. And it's basically um, putting pressure on her to they, they accuse her of being the daughter of a of a betrayer. Mm. Um, and it turns out that Sansa did actually come to the Queen uh, when she found out that she was going to be sent back to Winterfell and told her what she was doing. Now I'm not sure how much of a how much of an impact that would have had on on what happened, but I think it would have at least given the Queen a bit of extra warning yeah. and, a, and a sense of how quickly she's got to move. So Sansa's 
played a part in the downfall of her father. Yeah, in she him over. And I don't think yeah. she was malicious in this. But it's just, it's that kind of, this, in a way, this is the sort of peak, isn't it, so far, of Sansa's sort of selfish um, naivety. Because in her head, all that is about is, I want to marry the prince because princes are great things to marry because reasons. Yeah. You know, there's no other, there's nothing else going on in her head and she doesn't understand how power and politics work, but she's a player because she went straight mm. to her father's principal enemy and shopped him and didn't even yeah. realise that's what she was doing. Now, you know, maybe yeah. that's down to her father not telling not telling her what the score is and, you know, making her more politically aware and so on, which... <laughs> she's yeah. 11 so fair enough um yeah but but yeah it's you know it, it's sansa uh, you, you know it's her it's it's in a way this is the end of her childhood her childhood has been marked by childishness yeah and at a certain point she's gonna have to realize that what happened to her dad was was largely because of her you know yeah yeah I suppose it's it's weird because on, on one hand I want to say this is this is Ned's fault because he shouldn't say anything because kids talk they always do you know if yeah. if if it just so happened that Sirio was plotting something and um, and Ned had told Arya that Sirio wasn't coming up to Winterfell I'm sure she'd have told him that she was going so it's it's the kind of thing you've got to expect your kids to talk but having said that this moves so quickly mm. that I think Ned does tell them pretty much as you know on the day or the day before they're going to leave so it's not like he says in a couple of weeks time we're going to be leaving Winterfell so the next time he speaks to the Queen don't say anything about it yeah I suppose um, that's true isn't and it? At, the, at the very least he should have said to them it's so important that you don't tell anyone about this this is a secret yeah um, and he doesn't do that And uh, so you know it's hard to, to put too much blame onto, onto Santa I think here Although oh, I think yeah. I'm, I'm turning, it's constantly turning into a Sansa defender. It seems mm. um, you're a very compassionate man, Matt. I, don't, I just, I just, you know, everything about the way she's acted is um, is very, very unpleasant. And I, I just sort of, you know, yeah. I, well, and the, I wonder um, if she's going to get a comeuppance now because I can't see how she's going to get out of the castle. Can you? No. Well, no. exactly. Um, so it's, 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 it's obviously like she's she's seen as much. I think the Queen's seeing her as much as a useful sort of hostage or bargaining chip as she sees Ned now. Yeah. The fact that they've got... It's basically the Lannisters have two members of the Stark household. It should be three, but for some reason they've managed to lose Arya. <laughs> and, <laughs> because... And I don't think this can be over overemphasised because their soldiers can't catch a nine-year-old when they turn up in full armour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Could you imagine um, the scene when they returned to the Queen and said, uh, "Yeah, we didn't manage to get it." <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a really it's, it's a Doctor Evil moment, isn't it? It is a kind of sorry, what you didn't what <laughs> all of you? Sorry, how many of you are dead? It, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, the guy had a wooden sword. It's a, a, a wooden sword, though. <laughs> Those swords are wooden for a reason. It means they're not supposed to be able to kill people with them. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. So the, the chapter ends with with Sansa um, being convinced to write uh, letters to to Rob and to to Lysa and the Eerie and to her mother, saying that her father, you know, has made a mistake and you know 
try to come come to King's Landing to swear fealty to Joffrey again. This is and obviously you know this feels like a trap. <laughs> and you, you, uh, my immediate thought is, oh god, I hope they don't. Yeah. I hope Rob doesn't trundle off down to King's yeah, Landing. Like, oh, I'd, I'd best do the good thing, hadn't I? Yeah. <laughs> um, we we now take a detour up to the wall to go back to John. Mm. Um, who is, uh, this is, if you remember when we were last at the wall, this hand was carried out of the forest by his wolf. And it turns out that there are two dead men, um, which two dead members of the Night's Watch who have been found near the wall. Mm. And um, it's str- this strange because the, the, the bodies are, um, Sam points this out, the bodies are both, um, the, bloods have, the blood has congealed in the bodies, mm. which means they've been dead for some time. Mm. But at the same time, there's no smell, which suggests they've only just died. Oh, um, so yeah. it's a bit of a it's a real mystery here. They can't work out what's happened, and the the animals, um, the dogs and the horses, are terrified. And this is always a good marker of some freaky shit's going down <laughs> if, the, if the animals are afraid. Yeah, that's very true, isn't it? If you um, human beings seem to have a lot less sense than horses in this universe on quite a few different occasions. Yeah. This this mystery uh, brings in uh, Benjamin Stark's replacement. Benjamin Stark was head ranger until he went off into the wilderness and hasn't returned. Mm. So the guy who's taken his place is called Sir Jeremy Riker, and uh, he comes in for a real bollocking from um, from the old bear, from the, the Lord Commander, yeah. because because of this mystery. Because basically, these two two men bodies have been found close to the wall. Um, looks like they've died recently. One of the guys has got a horn on him, so he's got a like so he could have. He could have called for help. assistance. Yeah. yeah. And and nobody knows anything about it. And this is within sight of the wall. So so the log commander's like, what on earth are you doing here? Someone should have found should notice this. And if it's if it's barbarians, if it's wildlings who've attacked these two men this close to the wall, how have you missed them? Yeah. And you know, Sir Jeremy doesn't really have an answer, but he says, you know, we've sent patrols out and we would have we would have heard it if it have if he'd have called for help. Yeah. Well, and you can understand um, the Lord Commander being pissed. What a horrible first day on the job for Riker, though, isn't it? It's like, um, well, I, I, I was listening. Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the, what they do, the, the, some of the some of the men want to want to burn these bodies because the, a final thing which makes them uneasy is the fact that both of the bodies have now got. Both of the men have now got blue eyes, and they didn't have them before. Mm. So there's something very odd here, and some of the men want to burn the bodies, but Mormont says no. You know, we need to effectively do some kind of medieval autopsy on them to find out what's happened. So you the bodies are brought in into Castle Black. While you understand that, you know you're not thinking that anything bad's going to happen. Fair enough. Um, we obviously have a bit of the tip since these these brilliant blue eyes have been mentioned before in the context of people who weren't apparently not deceased. Yeah. Um, but like you can understand that. But at the same time, what are you going to do in an autopsy? A, a medieval, you know, poke the purple bit and see how much it wobbles. Like, yeah. what are you going to do in order to try and find out what's happened to these men? Look at them, yeah. see if you can see any obvious cuts or slashes. And then, yeah. you know... No, but you know, it's all. I'm. I'm I don't want to be a um, a backseat Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, I'll let Sir Geo get on with it. 
there's when they get back to Castle Black, John hears that his father's been arrested um, and accused of of treason, and Sir Alistair is joking about it in the hall. Of Obviously course, he is. He is. Of course, uh, every, he is. everyone else is very sympathetic, but. Um, John overhears Sir Alistair say, not, "Not only a bastard, but a traitor's bastard," and he just he just goes off on one John, and he, and he basically tries to attack Sir Alistair, and it ends up being arrested and sort of confined to quarters with a guard outside. He's, he's not in there for long because um, within a few hours of, of night falling, um, Ghost is getting all upset, and John. Sort of tries to open his door. Hang, hang on, is, finds his door unlocked. Has he still got his wolf in his cell with him? Yeah. Why? Is he being confined yeah. to quarters? Like, why is everybody so respectful of his desire to have his pet dog around? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, yeah, th- this is weird. I mean, it's even more of a, a plot hole in the in the series because he's just in his room. He just he's just effectively sent to his room like a naughty <laughs> child for 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 pulling a knife on one of the top. Men in the Night's Watch. No, no um, supper for you, Jon Snow. Yeah, so he is obviously. Um, I think uh, you could say it's partly because um, the old uh, the Lord Commander obviously has picked him out as someone he wants to to rise through the ranks, and he's being yeah, yeah. treated with a bit of kids' gloves with things like that. I mean, the the, the moment says to him um, when he when he tells him the news about about Ned. Don't do anything stupid, and then when he pulls a knife on Sir Alistair later, moment says, "I told you not to do anything stupid." <laughs> there's, there's more sort of a disappointed father here rather than a, an angry sort of uh, man of authority, isn't there? Oh, that's true. Yeah, I, I just, I, I, I do love that line. That sort of because you can, I can imagine the look on the Lord Commander's face of yeah. being like, like you know, sort of tough love. I can just imagine him like yeah. twatting him around the head. I told you not to do anything fucking stupid, didn't I? Yeah, moron. Um, now it's a good job he's confined to quarters because it turns out that when um, when John actually opens the door to look at what's going on, uh, he finds his guard uh, dead with his his head almost twisted off his shoulders. It's the, the head's pointing the wrong way, basically. <laughs> so he, he knows he's dead. Um, yeah, and he yep. yeah, you don't need an autopsy for that one. <laughs> and he, um, he he goes he goes up, he eventually finds something. Moving around inside the uh, log commander's quarters, and it is uh, one of the dead men. And there's this desperate fight between John and this uh, this zombie, and uh, he only really survives due to the help of Ghost of his of his wolf. Mm. And in the end, he throws um, a, a sort of a lantern at the at the zombie and burns it. And it, it appears that the only way that these things die is by fire because John makes a few decent cuts to the thing. Yeah. At one point, he pretty much opens its face up, and um, and it doesn't. It just keeps coming. Mm. Tell you what, I, I uh, this is a great sequence, isn't it? It's just absolutely mm. fantastic sequence. I tell you what occurs to me is that John's still fourteen years old at this point. Like in any other yeah. work, this would be being played as kind of you know plucky youngster kind of but he's just he's just <laughs> obliged to be him this isn't harry potter he's just obliged to be a man at the age of 14 you know he's going to yeah. get locked up he's going to get given jobs in this harsh wilderness and then then he's going to get attacked by zombies and fight yeah. them off as well brilliant absolutely yeah. brilliant sequence terrifying i mean really tense oh, yeah. but great we move on to to bran 
And this is where we find out through Bran what Rob's doing about his about his dad being uh, being accused of treason, and it it appears that Rob's response is to now call the banners. So he's he's assembling an oh, army. Oh, 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 oh. oh yeah. this shit just got real. I love it. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> and we we get a rundown of all the bannermen, all the all the houses that are loyal to to the Starks here. And um, I wondered if we just run down them, and I think maybe you should pick. We should pick one each to sort of affiliate ourselves. With. Oh, brilliant! Yeah, randomly choosing right. a team to support. Here we go. Uh, okay, so I mean, I'll give you first choice, and I'll give you a rundown of who they are. Mm. Um, there's the, the Carstarks, and these are the guys who are just arriving in this chapter, and they're uh, they're they're the closest in terms of um, blood to the Starks. They're they're sort of mm. way back in the family tree. They're they're sort of they used to be Starks, and they moved south and sort of took on this sort of extra part of the name yeah. um the, there are the as we've spoken about before the glovers um, uh-huh. they've got a big male fist on their flag they've turned up there are the there are the mormons oh, obviously are these are yeah so it's the house that the lord commander belongs to and um obviously sejora over in um across in uh with daenerys and they're from a an island called bear island and um <laughs> And imagine it's not. It doesn't sound like the most. It doesn't sound like the kind of place you go for a holiday. I was going to say that. Can you imagine? Come to sunny Bear Island. It's that. It's like that bit in Family Guy, isn't it? It's like no crowds, no pollution, no flesh-eating monsters. <laughs> yeah. Um, the Mormons are famous for having really uh, domineering women as well. They've got. Um, they've got. You'll meet a couple of characters who are. Uh, like sort of uh, women soldiers mm. in in, in, uh, in the Mormons as well. Mm. There were the Boltons, who are led by uh, this guy called Roose Bolton, mm. who um, comes across as particularly um, ruthless and uh, very very adept at strategy. Oh. Um, if uh, even though he's a uh, he's very softly spoken and isn't the most physically imposing of the lords. Mm. Um, going through the rest, there are the the Hornwoods who have a, uh, a funny name. <laughs> yeah, they have a bull, bull moose on their on their sort of sigil. It's quite um, an achievement, isn't it, to get two euphemisms for an erect penis into one single surname? Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, there are the I think it's the Serwins, um, C E R W Y N S. Mm. They've got a I think a battle axe as their flag. Uh, there are the Tall Hearts, which have three trees as their flag. Mm. And then um, the the Umbers, um, they were the all a curious the... orange colour in the hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the, the Umbers are the, are the guys from the north, uh, the north of the north, if you like. They're the closest to the wall. Oh. I think their, their their house is called the, the Last Hearth. Mm. And um, and they, so these are the particularly they're described as being particularly hardy. Mm. Um, you know, all the Northerners are pretty rough and ready, but the Umbers are even more so. Yeah. They're led by a guy, a guy who's called the Great John, and is this enormous sort of uh, fighter who's known throughout the land as being one of the sort of few best uh, fighters in, in primary in, in the badass of Westeros. Yeah, yeah, so he is. Yeah, he is primary badass. Yeah. Um, and. Quite, um, I suppose, fairly aptly, the the sigil for the Umbers is a, a roaring giant bursting out of chains. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
<laughs> I mean, if you were a member of that house, yeah. and you're sitting chatting to a Hornwood soldier, yeah. and you're saying, so what, what's on your sigil? Oh, it's a it's a bull moose. So it's a big moose, right? What's yours? It's a fucking roaring giant bursting at <laughs> Jane. So, who, who's buying this round? Is it you? <laughs> yes, it's you. <laughs> um, the only guys who, I think, who aren't there, mm. the only other house which is, which is sworn to the Starks, are the Mandalays. Mm. They're from uh, White Harbour, which is sort of the southern tip of uh, of the north. Southerners, and um, and they've they've got. I mean, they're the most seafaring. Um, they're part of the, the seafaring uh, part of the uh, of the Stark power, mm. and uh, they, they've got. A, I think they've got a um, like a merman as their uh, with with a, with a trident. He's the one who ends up buying the drinks the... every time, isn't it? We've <laughs> got, got a bull moose, which are quite terrifying animals when you're up close, but pale in significance next in, in, into insignificance next to a giant bursting out of chains. But then both yeah. of them look down on a man who's got a half man, half fish with a fork on. <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. <laughs> um, right, okay. So, which is your favourite house? Oh, there? Which one do you want to ooh, go with? I don't know. Um, I'm, I think I'm going to go for um, I'm going to go for the Carstarks. You know the Car-Starks. the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. I think. Right. Okay. How about you? Are you going to go for? Do you feel an affinity for the Bolton family? Because you know, since you know the the name Bolton has been appropriated from your I suppose, town. Yeah. Since since I'm since I'm from Bolton originally. Um, yeah. That's, okay. I'll uh, I'll. I mean, they they're particularly. Um, I mean, just to give you a, an idea of how. Um, sort of creepy these guys are. They've got a uh, their sigil. We talk about sigils. Is a is a flayed man. Fucking hell! <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> they um, they were famous for um, flaying their enemies alive. If you don't know what flaying is, because I don't think many people do, it's a medieval thing, and it's when you it's it's probably the, one of the worst forms of torture. You you, you cut a slit in someone's skin. And then you peel the skin off while they're alive, so it sort of burns. It's, it's. I mean, oh. you can, I, have you have you ever had it where like you got a bit of a um, like a hangnail or something, and you actually accidentally take a bit of skin off, yeah, and it fucking kills, yeah. and it's a tiny like centimeter or inch of skin. Yeah, imagine that, but like a full a full oh, arm or something like horrible. that. Horrible, horrendous. Oh, uh, so, yeah. so, so you're you're supporting them then, are you? It appears so, yeah. Um, I don't. I, yeah. Um, okay. I'll, I'll I'll throw my lot in with those boys. All right. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't think I'd have the stomach to be a Bolton. I'd run away if I was one of them. Well, well, I, that that's for you to say. I um, end up flayed. You know, you'd might, end up might, flayed. I tell you, defect. I would if I were you. I might, I might. Ball. I might just. I might just go for someone. I might just go for the tall hearts. Three. The three trees. They seem quite cheery. So. Yeah, so they're, gonna... they're the kind of ents of Westeros. Yeah, yeah. All right, they're quite they're quite good. I might go for them. All right, cool. Or the, uh, or the. See, I don't think I'm badass enough for a number. No, oh, um, who could be though? I, you know what? I always quite like the Mandalays. The Mandalays, even though they've got, even, yeah. even though they've only got a shitty um, merman on the crest. Didn't you say they didn't turn up? Yeah, they, they, they haven't turned up. No. Right, so you're gonna you're gonna pull for the uh, the Stark Bannerman that haven't bothered to go to war. That's cheating. That, I think. Does that disqualify them from the selection process? Of course, it fucking does. How are you gonna pull for them when they're not in the battles? That's like that's ridiculous. That's like supporting. Uh, it's like supporting Bromsgrove Sporting in the European Cup. You're doomed to failure, aren't you? <laughs> 
Okay. All right. Well, okay. I'll stick with the Boltons, but um, I, I take holidays in uh, with, with the Toll Hearts. So. All right. Okay. <laughs> right. Let's uh, let's let's move on. Um, so the, the, an interesting part of this as well is that compared to the South, there are very few knights in in the North. Mm. They don't really go through. I think it's because the, the knighthood in this world is is very much associated with. The southern religion with the seven gods, oh. and you're anointed in the sets and things like that. And and obviously, most of the guys in the north keep the the old gods. Mm. I mean, there are still knights, but there are, there are far few of them in, um, compared to what you find in the south. But that, I think, somebody, I think, might be the maester, makes the point that that doesn't necessarily mean they're any less of a fighting force yeah. just because they don't have the title. Yeah, 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 and. Um... I I wonder as well if it's something to do with almost like in the south knights are like a kind of muted version of what they are in England these days where the you know the last thing a knight of the realm is going to be asked to do is pick up a sword and go and fight with it on behalf of the sovereign because they can't because they're all in their late 60s after lives yeah. of worthy service or Calmly marking time in uh, high-ranking civil service positions. Yeah, that's that's, yeah. that's what you get to be a knight for. So is it is it kind of that? You know, it's more about status and about aristocracy than it is about ability to fight, perhaps. Well, I, I would say that the, the knights are in, in this world are very um, still do um, fight a lot. I mean, if you look at people like um, Sir Gregor the Mountain. I mean, he his his whole fight. reputation's he, built on fighting. Oh, that's true. But you could call him you could call him Mister Floppy, and he'd still walk around killing people, wouldn't he? Like, yeah, you know, it's yeah. a function of his personality. Yeah, but I think I mean I, I think all the major knights and leaders. I mean, when, when we see Tywin later on, who's the the Lord of the of Casterly Rock, who's the top head of the Lannisters, mm. he um, leads his men in battle. Um, I think they're all. I think you have to be able to do that to to be able to hold any kind of status in this world because mm. it's all centered around that, isn't it? It's a very bloody world. Yeah, that's and, very true. Yeah. And you and and they sort of the actual the only way you can progress and and move up without being good at fighting and killing things is if you operate outside of the. Uh, of, of the usual system, so so Littlefinger has got his sort of fingers in different pies, and and Varys is sort of one step removed from from the actual uh, sort of hierarchy of, of power, if you like. Well, it's interesting that you should go to them because I was thinking about um, I was thinking about people like um, Sam Tarly, who's who's shown yeah. himself to have you know have qualities and have abilities and so on. Um, a little bit so far, I suppose, but he's definitely not just a one-dimensional kind of flake. Um, yeah. So he's, uh, that's an interesting parallel I've never thought of before. You know, what's the what's the sort of collection of people who succeed in Westeros despite not being traditional fighters? Yeah, um, <clears throat> I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd say Sam is is an example of someone who doesn't succeed it, it, it because of, at the moment, at least, yeah. he doesn't succeed because of that. He ends up packed off to the wall despite being the eldest son of a very powerful lord. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah. Because um, just because he, he he doesn't fit into the system. Mm. Um, I, I I also I think last time when we spoke about Sam, I said that Randall Tarley was a Lannister Barnum, mm. and I think point of fight, I think he's a uh, a. Um, uh, what they called it, Tyrell Bannerman. I oh. mean, it's, we, we don't need to go into it now, but uh, Tyrells are a, diff- a slightly different house who do a lot of fighting with the Lions. Well, we've already anyway. met one of theirs, haven't we? We've met Solaris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's in the sort of the head, the part of the family, which is the head of that 
that area. Mm. <clears throat> so the tallies, the tallies fight for them effectively. Yeah. Um, okay. So we we find out that uh, Robbie's leading a force to war. Um, these these bannermen are um, obviously they're here to support him, but they're also testing him because he's this young lord. It's not the guy they would normally follow in battle. And there are various. Uh, th- there's a list of various things that the different heads of houses do. Um, let's see whether. I, I mean, I think I think the uh, the Karstarks asked for uh, for command. Uh, the lead of the Karstarks asked for command. So does Roose Bolton. Command um, of the whole force. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what can I usurp your father as the major commander of the forces of the north? <laughs> they're basically, yeah, they're basically saying, "Come on, <clears throat> you, you, you're just a young, you're just a young lad." Many of the many of the bannermen try to test him. Roose Bolton and Robert Glover both demand the honour of battle command. The first one brusquely, and the second with a smile and a jest. Um, Mage Mormon, Mage Mormon, who's the, the the leader of the of the Mormons, she um, she tells Rob that he's young enough to be a grandson and has no business commanding her, <laughs> but then offers him a gra- offers him a granddaughter to marry. Um, uh, I think another one. I think Lord Serwin brings his daughter as, as yeah. one of his daughters with him as well as a possible he tries marriage. Trust to purchase it. Dear <laughs> There's a there's a guy who brings a a load of a lot of horses and gifts and stuff to, to 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 get him on side. But the best one's Lord Umber, the Great John, right. who um who do, who who gets in this argument with Rob and ends up uh, drawing his sword um sort of in front of him, which is obviously it's, it's, it's death to do that normally in front of your liege lord. Yeah. And in the end, uh, Rob's wolf, uh, Greywind, attacks him and bites two of his fingers off. <laughs> and the great, jo- the great John's reaction is like, he, he just loves it and he <laughs> thinks that's a, it. Fl- I think he just wants to... The great John's one of these characters. He just wants to know that um, he's fighting for someone who's tough. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Who, who, who's as, as badass as him. Yeah. And I think this wolf kind of proves that, you know, He's fighting on a side that is powerful. Yeah, 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 that's it, isn't it? And that is an interesting difference, isn't it, between the sort of person who tries to purchase influence and the kind of person who tries to demand influence. And even though the Great John's approach is superficially the most um, aggressive and arrogant, is actually, there's there's a kind of, you know, there's quite, there's a, there's a, it's benign in a sense, because all he wants to know is that he's being bossed by somebody who's worthy of it. So all you got to do is chop his fingers off. No problem. <laughs> yeah. So his two fingers down, but is a is a powerful lord up. So, so I think he's quite. Happy he loves with it. That. Mind you, he can't have gone to war very many times if that's the price he's willing to pay. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Ned's had to do that before. Put it that way. <laughs> it's quite nice to spend a bit of time with the with the Starks, isn't it? Just yeah. as they're all coming together and finding out a bit about the, the, the Bannermen and the, the people who are who are actually sworn to, 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 to fight for the Starks. Because we still, I don't know, do you still feel down on, on the Stark side here? Um, by default, yeah. And they haven't done anything, you know, they're not given things to do that are as objectionable as anything else. And Ned, you're still absolutely pulling for because he seems to be the only honest man in Westeros. Um, mm. So yeah, yeah, I am still. There's a there's a, a point here. We don't see this in the series, and I really like it. And it's it shows how, um, and it, it's it's understandable how afraid Rob is of what's happening here. Mm. Even though he's he's putting on this front of um, of issuing commands and calling the bannermen, um, he he has this quiet moment with Bran in in Bran's bedroom, um, where he talks about this 
this sort of come up this sort of uh, conflict with the great John, mm. um, where where the wolf bites of his fingers. And Rob says, I thought he was going to kill me. Do you see the way through Dane Hall, which is a, a guy who tried to stop him? Mm. Um, oh, he says, I was so scared. And the great John's not the worst of them, only the loudest. Yeah. Lord Roos Bolton never says a word. He just looks at me. And all I can think of is a room they have in the Dreadfort where the Boltons hang the skins of their enemies. Fucking hell. Um, and then Bran tries to comfort him, saying it's just one. Of, it's just like a story. That's one of old man's stories. Yeah. But um, Rob's <laughs> basically said, oh, I'm not sure either way. But he en- he ends up saying, "Look, I, I just I wish I wish father was here," and it just shows how it's, yeah. it's, it is weighing heavily on him. This and it's these are hard, um, dangerous guys that he's called into the castle, and he's just a, he's just still a teenager, and he's not sure how to how to deal with them, and he's frightened about what's going to happen if he if he doesn't make the right choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's very tense. It's very dramatic, and the the idea that the in a sense, the kind of identity of the North hinges on mm. the actions and decisions, split-second decisions, of a boy. Mm. Um, it's another one of those moments where it seems to be a great argument against aristocracy. <laughs> you know, I, don't, yeah. I don't care who he was born to and how efficiently he was brought up. I'm sorry, that is a weak point, you know? Yeah. I think it's, it's, it also says an interesting thing about power insofar as... When Ned goes down to King's Landing and he's met by the small council, mm. they say, you know, we're here, we serve at your pleasure. And he's thinking, um, yeah, but at whose? And he's uncomfortable because he's got these people who, you know, on the face of it, are there to help him. But he needs to play the game in such a way as to make sure they do. Mm. And this is the same thing with Rob here. The only difference is that when Ned's up in the north, he knows how to make sure these kind of people follow him mm-hmm. and and rob's trying to trying to learn that on the fly now mm-hmm. and, the, and when ned goes down south the tactics he uses to keep people loyal in the north just don't work in the same way yeah you and know. it's just interesting the different ways you've got to operate to to achieve loyalty because these guys in the north they know um nicer than 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 the than the people at king's landing they just operate in a different way. Yeah, a way in which Ned is conversant because it's not political. Yeah. It's weirdly, it's not political. It's about power. I mean, as in, it's about I have I hold here in my hand this sword, and I'll fight any of you. So make a cue. Yeah. You know, that's the way you get people to follow you in the north. Whereas in the south, it's I have here in my hand this sword, which I place down on the side and then engage with you for four hours in a long, meandering conversation about how we're going <laughs> to, you know, feed the people in the town or run the spies or whatever. And it's just not his cup of tea at all. And it's yeah. been his downfall. He just, you know, wasn't good enough at it. Yeah. Um, the other other couple of things that happen in this chapter, um, Osher, um, who, Osher, who's the... Uh, the wildling that that Rob captured when you know, remember when the group tried to uh, try to kidnap Bran. Oh yeah. Um, he uh, Bran meets her in the Godswood, and um, she spends a lot of time there because she keeps the old gods as well. And she says that the the old gods are sad, and that the uh, that there's a great sadness about the whole place as this great host is marching south to war. And she says it should be marching north. That's where the real threat is. Um, but there is this sense of sadness and even maybe a bit of foreboding, which makes you worry about Rob and this and this army marching south. Mm. Um, it's, it's summed up really with Rickon, the the youngest of the Starks, who we very rarely hear about, and it, it's, it appears he's really gone wild since you know all this has started happening. Is is the he's only four about four or five years yeah. old, and 
no one's really got time to look after him. Yeah. So he's just running amok with this with this massive direwolf of his. <laughs> um and he and he's just no one really knows what to do with him. Yeah. And when when Bran says, you know, come and say goodbye to Rob, mm. uh, Rickon sort of shouts, No. Mm. He, he, he no goodbyes. And the reason is he says no one ever comes back. And he's got it's a point, this kind hasn't of, he? Yeah, he's absolutely so far. He's absolutely right, isn't he? Yeah. You know, Ned's gone, Caitlin's gone, yeah. um, Arya and Sansa have gone, and he's he, no, none of them have been seen again. Even the household, people like Jory and you know, and Hal, and they've all gone south. Fat Tom, and none of them are coming back. Yeah. So it's not a, it's not an impossible. You know, it's, it's an understandable thing for 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 a small child to feel, I suppose. And it really sums up the sort of sadness around. Around the, uh, the Stark household at the moment. Yeah, and and he's a real sense, isn't it, of like a, like a great kind of edifice, like a castle, really. I suppose that's fought, that's is starting to fall over, but not because of anything that's been done wrong. Um, mm. just because the ground underneath it has started to shift. Yeah, everything's changing. Yes. Um, we scoot across the narrow sea now, and we visit Daenerys for the first time in a while, and we begin, Dave, with the most macho line uh, I mean this is the most Carl Drogo line in the entire book All right. are you ready for All it? Right, hit, me up, hit me up when he had taken his pleasure Carl Drogo rose from their sleeping mats to tower above her <laughs> do, you think, do you think George Martin ever reflects that he might have missed out on a career in writing some of the racier end of the Mills and Boone novel <laughs> <laughs> I just wonder if if he he's ever he's ever done that himself, taken his pleasure and rose from the sleeping mats to tower above oh, his it, partner. It's, oh, that's horrible! <laughs> you can, actually, it sort of plays like a monologue, doesn't it? Like, so you can just imagine him thinking yeah. that it's just like <laughs> I I took my pleasure and then I rose. What is it to tower at like a behemoth? To tower, to tower above her. Oh yeah. lord, he's he's becoming. <laughs> it's this, great. I love that. Line. This Cal Drogo character is becoming less and less like, uh, less and less like the IT technician from Barnsley. Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. You you won't find many IT technicians from Barnsley taking their pleasure on the sleeping mat and then rising to tower above someone. <laughs> I would think. I, mean, yeah, I, I I my experience doesn't go in that direction, Matt. To be honest, but I'll take your word for it. <laughs> <laughs> when was this? When was this moment in your life where an IT technician from Barnsley rose to tower above you? Well, well, after that, taking his pleasure. That's, that's the question I've got for you, Matt. <laughs> I'm not claiming to have insight. <laughs> okay, let's let's move on. The um, it's, it turns out here that the the important point from the first few pages here um, is that um, despite Daenerys, despite the fact that these two are, seem very much together now in in more of a it seem it seem actually in a loving relationship, um, based largely upon pleasure, mats and towering. <laughs> yeah, well, no, no, that, I'm not using that as an example. <laughs> there are other parts. Right. So I'll, I'll pick out something else. Well, no, on. but it's, I mean, I know, I do know what you mean. But you know, it's also a relationship based on eating the heart of horses and yeah. you know, yeah. hideous violence towards <laughs> relatives and stuff like that. Yeah, good way of dealing but with. But even, even even though they, well, even though these two are closer now. Um, it's obvious that um, Khal Drogo isn't minded to to keep this promise he made to to Viserys to invade Westeros. He's just he doesn't really see any point in it. 
he doesn't see any need to go over there and, and you know, he's quite happy doing what he does. Yeah. Um, so Daenerys has got a problem there because she still desperately wants to go home. Mm. Um, they, they visit this market um, and this is where there's an attempt on Daenerys's life. There's a, a wine merchant who um, offers her a free cask of, of this special wine. <laughs> and Daenerys immediately accepts this, thinking, oh. I mean, this is an exam- uh, example of how their relationships change. She texts this thinking, oh, this, this, this would be great for, for Carl Drogo because he's developed this taste for wine. <laughs> so she's like looking forward to giving it him as a present. Oh, surely um, though, surely. Stranger danger, Daenerys. Stranger <laughs> danger. <laughs> Was there well, was there a strange man in the marketplace that tried to give you alcohol? <laughs> say no to strangers. Say no to strangers. Yeah, honestly, we need a public information film stat. <laughs> but I suppose she she must get offered gifts from people all the time, considering she's a Khaleesi. I suppose but, um, that's true, but how many markets have they visited? As I understand it, they've been mostly sort of riding around and taking extremely hot baths. They haven't really been... There's not been much time yeah. for shopping, you know? That's true. Well, um, luckily for Daenerys, Sejori gets wise to this um, because it turns out this cask of wine is in fact poisoned um, and he tries to get the wine merchant to drink his own um, <clears throat> his own wine and after trying to wheedle out of it a bit, the wine merchant tries to run away, and they capture him. And when Khal Drogo returns, um, he finds out about this attempt on Daenerys' life, and in response decides to, to invade. He says, right, well, we're going to go over, I'm going to give the Iron Throne as a gift to my son now, and we're going to go over there and kick some ass. <laughs> um, it's, it's a big moment in the book, um, and it, I, I've got to be honest. I think this is one of the moments where the the series outdoes the book because in the book, basically, in the book here, Drogo comes back with this light, like silver lion over his shoulder as a gift for um, for for the for the Khaleesi for Daenerys. <laughs> Look what I bought uh, you, as darling. As you do. What you? Yeah. I, what do you mean you don't want one? <laughs> Fucking silver lion. What's the matter with you? Yeah. And then he finds out about this plot on his wife's life, and then um, and then decides to, to you know to, to, to go and kick some ass. In the series, the guy um, the guy who tried to kill her is sort of tied up on a pole in the middle of this tent, and Drogo comes in in an absolute fury, and he does this massive loud speech, um, and he's, he's sort of spitting and roaring in the guy's face, and I I, I really enjoyed that scene in the series, mm. and they, they sort of. They took what was a an important but not particularly dramatic passage in the book mm. and turned it into something much more um, much more interesting on screen. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, and I think I think it's a yeah, it's much better in the TV series. Fuck it, I've got nothing. But in enough, enough praise for that because yeah. overall it's much better in the book. That's why we're doing the book. So <laughs> let's move on. Move, move on to to Caitlin and Caitlin is being escorted to to Rob's army now by these missing bannermen. Um, the Mandalas from White Harbour oh. um, have picked her up and, uh, and they're taking her to, to, to meet Rob now. 
Um, so that's where they've buggered off. What to. do you suppose they're going to say though? Because have they actually did they before? Were they just like, no, I don't think we'll do that, thanks. Or were they like, thanks, but we've actually got to go and pick up your mother, but then we'll be we'll be right with you. Like, because that's an know. awkward moment, isn't it? You turn up with his mum, and you're like, we've, we've got her back, so you're you're fine. Um, right, right yeah. on. And uh, but we're we're off home now, actually. Um, yeah, oh, you know, war. What is it good for? Yeah. Eh? Uh, we're we're off. Sorry. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think the, uh, the the pretty far south, the um, uh, White White Harbour is is obviously, like I said, is very very far south in in the north and part of Westeros. So maybe they, there was an element of, you know, we'll meet you along the way. <laughs> but um, anyway, the, the the army is now stationed at a place called Moat Kaelin. Yeah, and this is a this is a, a ruined castle, and on the surface it looks absolutely useless. It's just this. You know, a couple of fallen towers and a load of rubble, but um, the th- the three remaining towers cover this causeway, and it's in the middle of a load of like marshland. Mm. And the only way through it, the only safe way through it, is down this causeway. Though between and, these three towers, yeah. So it's it's called this area is called the neck, and it's causes it's a bottleneck on the way to the north. Yeah. So it's the absolute key for holding the the north of the kingdom. I wonder why they haven't rebuilt and, it then. Like if if it's yeah. that important, why wouldn't you do the towers back up? Well, may, maybe because there's no th- there, there's been no threat from the south for so long. Could be that's about to change. But then, but then it's it's only it's only a couple of decades since there was an open rebellion, isn't it? Yeah. So I mean, you know how how shonky was the building work on these on these castles? But I mean, could, could could it be the fact that this swamp is so poisonous and so horrible that just nobody wants to live there? <laughs> No matter how much you're offering lordships and titles, yeah. you say, "Oh, go and garrison Moat Kaelin." They just think, oh, "I think not." You know what? I'd rather not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, this is seen as a key place, yeah. and it's where um, where her, uh, Caitlin and Rob meet again. Mm. There's this quite um, nice scene where, when Rob sees his mum for the first time, you can you can tell the first thing he wants to do is sort of run over to her because he's still a boy at heart. Yeah. But he obviously can't do that, and the same with Caitlin. She's got to act the uh, sort of the effectively do the, the queen mum kind of at thing. The matriarch, she's got to yeah. be quite distant. Yeah. Um, immediately, Roose Bolton asks about Tyrion, um, saying that he'd make a useful, he'd be useful to interrogate and um, flay, presumably. <laughs> yeah, and you think, lucky for Tyrion that he's escaped here. Yeah. Um, but uh, Caitlin says, obviously, I don't have him anymore, and all the all the lords are pretty devastated with that news. Yeah. Um, Caitlin, when she gets to have a quiet talk with Rob, says that she thinks the fact that he's leading this army is a bad idea. She would rather have had him stay in Winterfell and send someone else to lead this army. Yeah. Now, that might be more a mother than a strategist speaking. Yeah, I think so. Um because yeah, he is the lord. He's the sort of liege lord here. Um but also she accepts that now he's here, he can't he you know, even if he agrees with her now. Yeah. Even if she can convince him, she can't send him back because he'll never get the respect yes, of these men again. Then that's his mother sending him home from war. Yeah. Yeah, and <laughs> I'm he, not letting you go out. You've not wrapped up properly. Yeah, and even in 30 years' time, people will remember that. Yeah. It's not the kind of thing anyone forgets, yeah, yeah, so he's yeah. got to do it now. Yeah, you know, yeah, he's, yeah. he's made the commitment. Yeah. Um, it's clear that there's no help on the way from from the Eyrie, from, from Lysa. Mm. 
because she, she's just hold, holding up there and waiting for the storm to pass. She's not interested in sending any help towards Rob, mm. which is disappointing. Yeah, absolutely. And um, she outlines the, the stakes here. Um, <clears throat> the Lannisters are notorious for the ruthlessness. They're not known for the mercy. And she basically says, you know, if we lose this fight, um, your dad's going to die, your sister's going to die, and we're probably going to die too. So don't lose. <laughs> and, and the response from Rob is pretty much that. He says, well, we won't, we, we won't lose then. Hey, um, isn't that an interesting parallel with... Um... With uh, earlier on, he has a moment like that much earlier on, doesn't he? Where he's like, mm. "What is it?" Um, there's just some moment where, like, you know, somebody says or something bad could happen, and he goes, oh, "I won't." Um, yeah. and you can. There's an echo. I think it's. There? I think it's. Yeah, it's it's Bran. I think where they say, um, he says Bran won't die. Yes, yeah. just, just assured. And oh, and the the wolves, the die wolves as well. Yeah, yeah. He makes this. He makes this claim quite a lot. It's, Rob, it won't happen. And it, well, that's exactly <coughs> the sort of insane hubris that he needs in order to be a liege lord though isn't it because yeah, otherwise yeah, on what other basis could you justify being like all right lads yeah. everybody follow me i'm 15 but i know what i'm doing somehow yeah what? yeah and and C- caitlin says as well to him you need to be decisive in in all your you know commands now you can't be sort of too respectful to these to these bannermen he says these are your bannermen they're not your friends yeah you know, they, and she's making the point that we have already that you know they follow power, yeah. and he needs to show that he's in command. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we hear some news um, about what's going on in a wider context with the war. Um, obviously, the, the the front line at the moment are Caitlin's household, the Tullys, who mm. who control the Riverlands, which mm. is in between the Lannisters and the Starks, and that's where the fighting's at its hottest at the moment, and. The Tullys have pretty much been routed in one battle. Oh, right, so the Tullys are already fighting. Yeah, yeah, this this fighting has begun now. The, the skirmishes are happening down in the south um, between the Lannisters and the Tullys. Right. And there's been this big battle at the Golden Tooth, which is a um, a point like pretty much like Mark Cale and a bottleneck in between the Lannisters and the, uh, the Tullys. Yeah, but we, haven't, but we weren't shown that at all. It was just sort of that's happening elsewhere. No, we just hear the news that the... Uh, the Tullys have been routed there because Jamie Lannister's led this led this army and, um, and has won a big victory. Isn't that an interesting decision on George Martin's part? Because you know, if you if if one of the if one of the things that this sort of um, you know this sort of world is supposed to be about are battles, and your first massive battle in the war that you've just painstakingly constructed happens, and you mm. don't you don't write it, you just write the news of it. And yeah. I wonder why that is. Like, I wonder what he's trying to do with that. I just think it's probably too much to. He, you, you need a POV character in there, and who are you going to have? Uh, you, you've yeah. got you've got Edmure, you've got Jamie Lannister, I suppose. Yeah. It's, it's who it's who who do you tell that that which point of view do you use for that battle? Because um, Jamie is just this villain, um, and he's he's not a point of view character. Yeah. There's Edmure is the leader of the Tully. Men, but we don't know who that guy is. It's, you don't want to introduce a new character at this point when the when the plot's moving at such a rate. That's very true. So it's quite hard to get into it, isn't it? I suppose. And I, I love this kind of thing, which happens quite a lot, where we hear extra things happening. You know, snatches of news about things that we yeah. don't um, we don't see, and it just gives some extra texture to the world as well. Because I think a simpler a simpler story 
would just have Rob marching down, and the first major battle is when Rob reaches the Riverlands. Yeah. But if you, but obviously, when you think about how this kind of system would operate, obviously there'd be skirmishes at the start, wouldn't there? Yeah. And the first, um, the Lannisters are known to take the initiative, so so they've moved on on Riverland straight away. Yeah. On the Tullys. Yeah, I I was going to say that actually. I think it's a really good way of making the world about more than these characters, because otherwise mm. you've got that you've got that thing, haven't you, with. Um, uh, like the like found footage horror movies where somebody always bothered to keep the camera on relatively stable while all this shit was happening, and you're like, yeah. uh, did yeah. you? Did you really? <laughs> of course you did, because otherwise there wouldn't be a film. And so this is a great way of of like using point of view characters to get your empathy, but then kind of using their absence to continue to build your world instead of shoehorning them in. Mm. And then a magic carpet came and carried Rob right to the battlefront of the <laughs> where the following <laughs> exciting things happened. You know, he doesn't pull that kind of shit and it just serves to strengthen yeah. the world, I think. We also hear about, do you remember the, the force that Ned sent out to, to, to execute uh, Gregor Clegane, to execute the mountain? Oh, yeah. He's, What's become of them? Um, well, Rob has heard reports of this... This group being absolutely smashed and routed um, by um, the by the mountain Oof. and by the Lannisters. Yeah. Um, Rob, Rob doesn't doesn't even know who the, the leader is of this. He refers to him as Lord Derek with a D because he, <laughs> and it just shows the sort of difficulty of getting information. I suppose yeah. even something as important as that. Yeah. Um, but we'll come back to that later. Yeah. Um, the only other thing about this chapter is the. the the plan that they devise to there, there are two big Lannister forces. There's the Jamie Lannister-led force, which is moving on River Run, and there's the Tywin Lannister-led force, the the, the Lord of the, the actual big boss, if you like, and he um, is also sort of running a mock in the Riverlands at the moment as well. Mm. And Rob's got to decide what to do here, and he decides to split his forces. He's going to send a, almost like a diversion force. Mm. Um, of footmen down to fight Tywin, and while that while Tywin's busy, he's going to send his his horsemen, his, sort of the the cavalry contingent, down as quickly as they can towards River Run to meet up with uh to, to meet up with the rest of the Tully army mm. and then attack Jaime. Mm. So he, he's trying to play sort of do the old bait and switch here, and Ooh, the, the leader. Yeah, and the, the leader uh, of this sort of second group, this sort of um, the bait group, if you like, he suggests the Great John, and Caitlin thinks this is a mistake because the Great John's this fearless warrior who will be in the heart of the battle. And I think Caitlin's thoughts here are: if you send the Great John at the head of this force, he'll cause some damage, but everyone's going to get killed mm. because he's he's just all about sort of the yeah. front of the cavalry charge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she should, and and she suggests in a roundabout way that um, the man for um, a sacrifice a lot of you men to their deaths and then quietly pull away and you know get out of it might be Roose Bolton <laughs> because um, he's already he seems a shrewd tactician this guy yeah. and um, and this is another I mean this is a big endorsement from Caitlin isn't it yeah and Rob agrees so 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 Roose Bolton the man of the flaying prisoners alive Clearly is the guy who's going to lead the, <laughs> who's gonna, he's the guy who's going to lead the, uh, the the baiting party yeah. which seems like a good move yeah yeah no I think that's tactically astute 
Yeah, I mean, you know, you don't have to be able to invite him around for dinner, do you? You just wanted to go and do his yeah. thing, so so fair enough. <laughs> i tell you what, it's just occurred to yeah. me, though, right? We've got these two forces, Tywin Lannister and Jamie Lannister. Isn't Jamie Lannister mm. supposed to be a member of the King's Guard? Yeah. So can he just rack off whenever he likes? Does he not have a sort of... Is the, is the head of the King's Guard not going, uh, you were due on shift four days ago? Where the fuck have you been? <laughs> Well, you know what? I think it depends who the king is. Ah, oh, very true. Yes, I think if this was, I think if Robert was still um, on the throne here, yeah, there's no way that Jamie would be able to to be doing this. You know, it's interesting to to think about what would have happened if Ro- Robert hadn't been killed in this accident. Oh yeah, yeah, that's very true actually. Because because you know, uh, we'd, we'd have been at the point where Ned has got this information to give Robert. Which you know, this is my what Cersei does. Then Robert's going um, to have her own. is going to come down the side of Ned. Yeah, yeah, and then and then Jamie comes back to face justice, yeah. and and that's that. And it's this. It, it's just a, one of these. Um, it's serendipitous moments where you know the the king has died for the Lannisters, where the king has died at just the right moment yeah, for the Lannisters, and just the wrong one for everybody else. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, that's um, true. Okay, so we move over to Tyrion. Tyrion turns up, uh, so we get the other side now. We get the Lannister army. Tyrion turns up at his dad's uh, <laughs> at his dad's host with his own um, with his own army of, uh, <laughs> of, <laughs> of scallies, basically. Is what it is. Yeah, and when you see how sort of, I mean, Tywin Lannister is a character with a massive stick up his ass. Yeah, and um, and <laughs> so one of the great moments when. Tyrion turns up with this ragtag bunch of like very wild men. Um, t- uh, Tyrion Lannister's reaction isn't exactly great joy, although he manages to get them on side. Um, <laughs> when when some of the Lannisters ask, you know, Tyrion, who who the hell are these these lot? Tyrion says, uh, "Bosom friends and loyal retainers." <laughs> and it's typical sort of smile, crooked smiling way. Oh, I love that. Just absolutely mocking the whole sort of setup of of kind of self importance and lordliness and so on that Tywin's so yeah. desperate to project. That you yeah. turn up with a bunch of soldiers you happen not to have shaved ever, and yeah. and he loses all his manners. <laughs> that's that's no sort of a high high born lord, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> one one of the plans that Rob was considering, I think the great John was behind this one, was to just keep his entire force together and attack Tywin Lannister and take him by surprise. Mm. And they decide not to do that because they say he's, he's too shrewd a commander to be taken by surprise. You're not going to be able to find a way in. Yeah. And you get a feeling that this is true from the way that Tyrion is um, stopped miles away from the camp. Mm. And you can see that it's very well defended and regardless of what else you, we, we say about Tywin Lannister, he knows how to, um, he knows how to fight a war. Mm. Well, we've not met him yet, have we? I mean, we've heard, no. we've heard of his legend as a stick-up-the-arse tactical genius, but we haven't, we haven't yet had any, had any words from him. I'll be interested to see what he's like. Yeah, the only, um, the only real example we've had of what he's done in the past as well has been, A, um, his involvement in sacking King's Landing at the... Uh, during the rebellion, when he was supposed to be on the side of um, Ares yeah. and decided to switch sides when he saw which way the wind was blowing, yeah. and um, and his response to to Tyrion marrying marrying a uh, a prostitute, which was to have her raped in front of him. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we have heard of his legend as a cock. 
Yeah. There we go. I mean, his 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 introduction here is um, is it's a paragraph of introduction, and it really sets him up as the uh, as a, as a sort of a, almost almost a super villain, I suppose. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, go on then. Go on then. I mean, I'll just give a couple. Like, even seated, he was tall with long legs, broad shoulders, a flat stomach. This is a guy who's 50, by the way. Um, he was in his middle 50s, yet hard as a man of 20. Um, his thin arms corded with muscle. His one-thick golden hair had begun to recede, um, and he commanded his barber to shave his head. Lord Tyron did not believe in half measures. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good little, um, little character. Absolutely, moment, yeah. Um, and I think... When Tywin actually leads his, his men into battle as well later on, his uh, his, his armor is described as being in, just so incredible. He's got this sort of polished to a sheen uh, red steel armor <laughs> with this enormous cape that actually comes down so far as uh, like it covers the back of his horse as well as him. <laughs> so it's this fucking massive cape, and it, it's held in place by two lionesses. Like on his shoulders, and then a massive lion on top of his helmet. So it's all like in intricate gold weave and stuff like that. Well, it sounds impressive, but at the same time, he is going into battle with a blanket round his shoulders. What's he worried of? Getting cold? Like, <laughs> like that, that for me must surely restrict your movement if you've got something like bolted to the top of your head that's big yeah. enough to cover the back of a war horse and charge you. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Um, we hear more from Tyrion about how the war is going mm. and how just how badly the Tullys are doing. Mm. Um, they've, the, the Lannisters have marched on various castles now um, since since Rob spoke. Um, the, he mentions the Pipers, the Brackens, the Wheats who are, who are at Tarenhall, if you remember that place. Oh, yeah. The Vances and the Blackwoods, they've all been defeated one by one. All of them already. Um, Have yeah. we turned up so late to this war or something in this book? Get, yeah, yeah, they're getting absolutely mauled. The only people left are the Tully's base, which is in Riverrun. Yeah. Um, the Freys up at the Twins, which is too far north for them to attack at the moment. Right. And the, the Malisters, who are a household which are, um, which are seated in a place called Seaguard. And they are um, they're seen as a particularly... Um, useful uh, bunch in a fight right. because they they, they more so I think you get the feeling that a lot of these Riverlands lords haven't had a lot of fighting to do in the last few decades because it's been relatively peaceful in and, the then, and they're not en route are they in between sort of the north where the rebellion came from and King's Landing no. where the rebellion was aimed they're sort of off to the side exactly. a little bit so they can just watch people gallop past and be like alright Carry on. Yeah. The only reason they got yeah. drawn in here is because Caitlin's a Tully, right? Yeah. Whereas, whereas Seaguard is um, this is a, a port that um, looks across the across the sea to. Do you know the um, where uh, Theon's from? Um, do you know the? Oh uh, right, yeah. The, the Iron Islands. The, the Iron Islands, yeah. And so this is a place which which rebelled. Against Robert, um, not long after the end of the, uh, not long after he became king. It's just out of sheer bloodlessness. We're not going to fight you before you become king, but afterwards, yeah, fucker. <laughs> yeah, and the, um, the 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 Malisters are sort of the, the, the people from the Iron Islands are um, sort of often raid the coast. They're pretty wild, even though they're supposed to be 
in the general uh, under the general um, watch of the king now. Mm. So the Malices are there to sort of patrol that part of the world. So that so it's not surprising that they're still that's they're still going. I suppose. Yeah, that's true. Actually, isn't it? Yeah. And I suppose there's also an example of just how I mean I know these these uh, these sort of Riverlands lords aren't particularly powerful, but just the power of Tyrion's army at the moment it's just sweeping all before it. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly because everybody's stopping to look at his cape. Ooh, that's nice material, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Look, it comes the whole yeah. of his horse. Oh shit, I've been killed. Yeah. Um, just wanted to say something about one of Tyrion's uh, one of Tyrion's guys, um, his wild blokes. Uh, Shagger son of Dol. Fuck off! Um, <laughs> I completely yeah, forgot that was his name. <laughs> yeah, and he's great because he um, he fights with three battle axes, yeah, three. one in each hand and one sort of in reserve. I was just going to say what in his uh, teeth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he's just constantly threatening to chop off people's manhoods and feed them to the goats. <laughs> and then. Uh, um, and at one um, at one moment, I think as as Tyrion's talking to Tywin, Shagger like bursts into the room, <laughs> and uh, and threatens to chop off someone's manhood, and I think burn it in the fire. Yeah. And uh, and Tyrion says, "What are there no goats around?" <laughs> <laughs> Do you get the impression? <laughs> just so often he's there. <laughs> Do you get the impression that yeah. it was it was a threat that worked once for him when he was young, and it just terrified everybody, and now he's like, yeah. "Right, that's the one I'm using. I don't really get." Goats, manhood, sure. choppy, <laughs> job done. That's what power is to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, the uh, the actual th- these guys, the mountain clans, don't want uh, initially aren't too keen on on fighting for time in Lannister because Tywin says, "I'll give you you know gold and 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 weapons," and they say, "You know Tyrion's already promised us that. What else are you going to give us?" Huh. And Tywin responds with saying, "Oh well, yeah. These the reputation of the the Northmen are." That they're particularly, you know, difficult and dangerous enemy. So, it's you know, it's fine if if you don't really feel you're up to it, then that's okay. <laughs> and obviously, that pricks uh, pricks their pride, and immediately they say that they'll uh, that they'll fight. So again, just an example of. I mean, it's a fairly blunt, but still politically savvy move from time. Yeah, well, I suppose you know, know the know the strategy that will work against the person you're working against right now. You know, you don't need to. You don't need to get terribly complicated. Just well, I heard that the men in the north were probably <laughs> bigger and better than you. So if you don't want, oh, you will. Great. <laughs> um, we we finally get to uh, the final chapters for today, which is about Sansa. She's um, witnessing Joffrey's first court since. Um, since he became since king. Since becoming king, and he's demanding. Oi, can yeah. we just take a Joffrey? You know. The the one who wasn't allowed into the children of the corn because he was too badly behaved. Joffrey is on the <laughs> fucking throne. Yeah, he's immediately demanding that all these different laws from all across the land come over to King's Landing to, to you know, to to show their loyalty and, and yeah, uh, not at all the sign of a deeply to... insecure <clears throat> child. <laughs> yeah, although I suppose it's, it makes sense. You need to get people on side straight away. It's, I, I feel the sort of the Queen's. Uh, yeah. hand behind this as well yeah that's true and um, anyone who doesn't turn up is going to be branded a traitor uh, we find out that Janos Slint who's the guy who commanded the, the city watch mm. and who was obviously instrumental in, in making sure that fucking Ned um, over. Ned's plan didn't work yeah, yeah. absolutely screwed over Ned um, he is given a lot the lordship of Harrenhal which is, is a, he now? 
a really, really lucrative plot of land up in the Riverlands. Yeah. Riverlands. And he's given that. And there's a there's these sighs of consternation in the <laughs> in the throne room. And it's partly because it's not really so much I mean, you sigh yourself as you're reading it because you think, Oh, this is the guy screwed over next. Yeah. And it's not very it's not right. But most of the reason that other people are thinking this isn't right is the fact that he's a commoner and he's getting one of the like most lucrative lordships, lordships yeah. in, in the whole in the whole kingdom. Yeah. So everyone all these sort of well bred Aristocratic guys are all upset about that. Yeah, almost. Um, what was the bloody point of me of me swanning around the place <laughs> and spending money money that I don't have on clothes that don't suit me? If he wasn't eventually yeah. going to add up to me being made Lord of Harrenhal, and then this this bloody spiv, you know, <laughs> you can almost hear the outrage, can't you? <laughs> yeah. Now another uh, another move which which is made here is uh, Sir Barristan is dismissed, the Lord Commander of the King's Guard. Um, what? He is, yeah, he is what dismissed is that about? And, and he, I don't know, and humiliated in front of the entire court, um, and told to you know you, you can be packed off to somewhere to uh, to, to see out your retirement, but your services aren't wanted anymore. So and, why um, would you why would you piss off the the, the original badass grandpa? You know, <laughs> yeah, he is. Yeah, he's just that. Yeah, why would you do and, it? Yeah, and when he when he draws his sword. Um, the sort of the rest of the king's guard do the same, yeah. and it looks like there's going to be a fight. And he basically says, "I could, I could take all. Even at my age, I could take all of you on now." Yeah, yeah. And it's one of the areas where honor doesn't do what doesn't kind of you know doesn't do what you're really crying out for it to do. Because because what yeah. you want there is you're in to take your sword out. The king's guard take the swords out, and they're like, "Actually, we run the place. Fuck off." Yeah. Um, but of course he doesn't because he is a man of honor. So he lays down his sword and goes away. Yeah, well, he does it in a bit more of a, um, I think, a bit more dignity than that. He, he throws it down. Oh, yeah. And he says, to, he, he says to Joffrey, melt it down and weld it to the others, uh, referring to the, the throne, which is made out of swords. Yes, yeah. And, and then he says, Stannis can sit on it when he takes the throne off you. <laughs> <which> is, <laughs> as he walks out. So he gets a final parting shot in. Yeah. And um, and Joffrey calls for uh, for someone to, to to seize him. So as people go after him to, to capture him, there yeah. for that. In his place, the Hound gets a promotion. He says he doesn't want to become a knight. Um, so and in the past, only knights have served in the King's Guard. Yeah. But um, they're going to make an exception for the Hound because he's got this um, he's got this big thing about not being a knight. Oh yeah, do you know? I realised that we said that wrong before as well, didn't we? In the um, few podcasts back, we said um, we said that he was a knight. And 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 yeah. he's not. Um, my wife pointed that out to me. It's always nice, always, always nice when other people are paying more attention than you are. <laughs> yeah. But um, but no, you're absolutely right. He has. But I, the point still stands. You know, I think he has. He has all of his honour, and he's very kind of. He's very concerned with um, with. He's quite twisted interpretation of what constitutes chivalry, but it's almost yeah. like he's sworn an oath never to be a knight, having seen what his brother's yeah. like. I've, you know, fuck all of that. Give me a sword and I'll kill yeah. whoever you want, but I'm not going to be a knight. Yeah, um, the, the 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 chapter ends with Sansa going before the king and promising that her father will confess his crimes. Yeah, um, she. This is a. She's trying to play some politics here because she. Is under the impression that if Ned confesses, he'll be sent to the Wall yeah. um, to join John yeah. and the Night's Watch, and Rob will call off the attack. She'll be able to marry Joffrey, and everything will be okay again. Yeah. 
Um, and it kind of sums up just how naive she is, I suppose. Yeah. But um, this is the only move she feels that's open to her. Yeah. Well, you can understand it, can't you? And it must be terrifying for her. And and, and while I'm inclined to kind of be, yeah, <laughs> you know, the opposite of you and be, be you know, all kind of um, negative about Sansa... I wonder if this is the first moment of a sort of developing character for her where she she's you know she's realized finally that the the system in which she was raised hasn't prepared her for anything at all and she's kind of mm. trying on different approaches for size and this is her first attempt at politics which clearly um is not terribly astute um but I do wonder I I like it all the same as a scene because I think it brings in a lot more complexity to what her character's like yeah, and it, it suggests a way out for Ned, doesn't it? Which doesn't involve, you know, his head in a spike. Yes. Um, because you feel, um, at the moment, if you look at it, you know, the Lannisters are doing very well in the war. Rob's this untested green um, commander. Yeah. Going up against this guy who's a tyrant, who's obviously a very astute, um, very experienced commander. Yeah. So it doesn't look like that's going to go well. Yeah, and if it doesn't, Caitlin's made it clear that it's the death of pretty much everyone. Yeah, to do with House Stark. So this is Sansa's one attempt to sort of Kofi and Annie and get, <laughs> you know, find a bit of peace, get the United Nations involved. Um, so yeah, you can see where she's coming from. Yeah, but it's yeah. Uh, it seems like a I don't know. It's a bit sad, like isn't a, it? A lot to hope. Yeah. yeah. Um, that brings us to the end of this podcast. Um, this part, yeah. which means next week we're looking at, um, we're going to run in, we're going to look at the, the part of the book which relates to episode nine of the series, which was called Baylor. So, it, and it's pretty dramatic next week. Um, let me tell you that. And uh, what are we if now? You've seen the series, you know what I mean. Episode nine. <clears throat> episode nine. Episode nine. Um, yeah so the only other thing to say um, at the end today is that if you want to get in touch with any thoughts you've had on the book um, or on the, uh, the podcast you can email us at sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com or you can uh, send us a tweet uh, we're on twitter and the twitter name is at sharkliveroil the only other thing to say is where we're reading to if you're reading along with us you, we're going from page 605 which is a chapter about Ned, or Eddard, which begins, The straw on the floor stank of urine. Doesn't, doesn't so it doesn't go well. Like he's having a particularly, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound like he's having a particularly good time of it, if that's the uh, start to your chapter. Um, we're reading as far as, it's about 100 pages, and it's um, the, the, the chapter where you stop reading is a chapter about Bran which begins the oldest were men grown, 17 and 18 years from the day of their naming. So when you get to there, it's page 706. Stop reading. And we will discuss that part of the book next time. Here we go. Looking forward to it, Dave? Looking forward to it, Matt. Of course you are. Of course you are. Because it's going to be big. <laughs> <laughs> Until then, see you later. Bye-bye.